Hey everybody, Fran Frischella here and welcome to World of Basketball, episode number 77 as we chuck on every week and bring you basketball from around the world. We shrink the globe for you in every way possible by bringing you players, coaches, executives from the NBA, college, EuroLeague. Uh, and today we've got a special guest, Scott Morrison, uh, who is the new coach of the Perth Wildcats in the NBL. We've had Scott on in the past when he was an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens. And today we catch up with him about his first few months in the NBL, a crazy time because of COVID. He's going to get into it. And um, just a fascinating look at uh, basketball down under uh, from his perspective as a guy that grew up on uh, PEI, Prince Edward Island in the Eastern provinces of Canada, uh, college coach, G League coach, um, NBA coach, obviously an assistant coach, and now as a head coach with the Perth Wildcats. A very interesting discussion because he's had a very, very interesting few months. So uh, we'll bring that with you shortly. If you like what we're doing, remember, subscribe to uh, this World of Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, so many others. A lot of people are just discovering us, but a lot of my friends around the world are uh, uh, just reaching out all the time and, and uh, telling us how much they're enjoying the uh, unique basketball content we bring you. So uh, when you do when you do subscribe, make sure you rate and review us as well. It's been a very interesting week in basketball, especially with the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. Last week, we brought you the podcast with DJ Kennedy, who uh, has since left Ukraine with his teammates. Uh, it's, a, it's a time of upheaval in European basketball <clears throat> because a lot of professional players are fleeing the professional clubs in Seska. Uh, or you're in, in Russia, I should say, because uh, there are many pro teams there. And I just learned this morning, haven't been able to confirm this uh, as we record this, but Qu Will, Will Clyburn, uh, former Iowa State Cyclone and one of the great European players uh, has left Seska. And uh, it's a very tenuous time for everybody in Europe, in the pro leagues. Uh, it's th this, this breakout of war in Ukraine has... Uh, has thrown everything into turmoil on a continent, including uh, sports, uh, which is no surprise. Uh, Mo Creek, young guy that we've gotten to know through TBT, former Indiana and George Washington star, was stranded in Ukraine for a number of days. And thankfully, Mo is out and on his way home uh, to D.C. area. And uh, we're very thankful for Mo, and we expect to see Mo back in uh, TBT this summer. There's about 15 former players uh, from TBT uh, that I've gotten to know that uh, were in Ukraine and uh, I'm sure the vast majority are now out. So uh, we, we, we wish everybody safe passage. We're praying for them and we hope everything uh, is going well with those guys. Uh, also college basketball, Arizona looks like they're heading to be uh, the number one overall seed in the tournament. They have, they have been playing dominant basketball early in the week. They smashed a very good USC team. And again, that team has got Christian Coloco, former uh, gentleman who's been on our podcast. Of course, Tommy Lloyd, who's heading to a lot of National Coach of the Year awards. Tommy's also been on World of Basketball. And uh, most of that starting five is uh, 
from places around the world, and it's fun to see them. Uh, a lot of people, including many Wildcat fans, think that Oscar Sheway is uh, moving close to wrapping up National Player of the Year, a dominant performance over the weekend against uh, Arkansas, and uh, followed it up uh, with another great performance early in the week for Kentucky. I don't know if he's wrapped it up just yet, but he is certainly a front runner and obviously a lock for first team all American. Oscar has been just absolutely dominant. Hey, one other guy I want to throw at you, and you guys know I'm I'm a Big Twelve, uh, uh, a Big Twelve file. I guess that means I love the Big Twelve. Is Flo Thamba, uh, who is from the Congo, and uh, a basketball without borders graduate. You know, we've had Flo, we've had uh, Jonathan Chamochachua on our show before. Jeremy Sohan earlier in the year, the precocious freshman. But Flo Thamba, a kid that came to the United States, went to high school in uh, West Virginia, ended up at Baylor, uh, very raw when he started. Last year as a junior, he, he did start every game on a national championship team. And with the injury uh, to everyday John, has been just absolutely dominant. Uh, near a double-double since John got hurt. And uh, just an interesting piece of the puzzle for a very good Baylor Bears team. So kudos to Flo, and uh, we got to have Flo on the uh, podcast uh, someday soon. All right, with that, a great talk with uh, Scott Morrison, the coach of Perth, the Wildcats. Very unique. He was gone for two months from his family. Hopefully, after we recorded this podcast early in the week, he's back home with with Suzanne and uh, the the kids. And uh, so Scott Morrison, Canadian, NBA guy, G League guy, and now an NBL guy. Before we get into all things um, um, NBL and and just your path, you're in the midst of something crazy right now uh, with COVID. Uh, A number of the teams in the NBL were ravaged with COVID, COVID back in December. And if I'm not mistaken, you've been away from uh, Suzanne and your and your two children since late December. Yeah, that's right. Um, we're actually it was two months yesterday that we left. So I think the last time we spoke, I just gotten out of the NBA bubble, and um, here I am, kind of in a, in a reverse bubble, so to speak. Um, so we have one more game today. When we, as we're speaking right now, we play Tasmania today um and then we get to go home tomorrow so it'd be nice to see the family for sure great great how, how is the uh tell us about what's going on in australia i know i know it's a big country like the united states like canada it encompasses a lot of land so what's the COVID situation coast to coast there well it's been kind of a, a nightmare of a, of a season off the court um i got hired in late august and it took until late October before we were even allowed to get into the country because of all the restrictions that were in place at the time. So I think three times uh, we had moved back to Canada to kind of pack up and get ready to go. I was coaching basically over Zoom. Um, every night I'd be on Zoom with the team uh, going over film from that day's workout. And I think three times we were packed and ready to move the whole family over and in the middle of the night, got a call saying, okay, your, your visa has been rejected again. So the third time was the charm. We fi- finally got on the plane. Um, as you can imagine with two little, little ones, it was a tough enough journey in, in regular circumstances. Uh, we landed in Perth, Western Australia, or all of Australia at the time still had a two week quarantine roll in. So we, the whole family in a hotel for two weeks, which was another, um, chapter you could say. 
and then finally got out and uh, started the season. I think the next day I flew to Tasmania for a five game preseason kind of tour. So I didn't really have much on the ground uh, preseason and then uh, started our season. So Western Australia, the state that we're in, um, they were kind of the last, the last stand against COVID in, in what was one way to put it? I guess they had no cases when we got out of quarantine. So it was kind of nice. It was like almost being in a time machine going back to 2019. It was nice for our family to be able to kind of move and operate a little bit, but they still had pretty tight restrictions. So as Australia started to open the rest of it, uh, our state kept closed. So we played five home games in December and then the state said, we're not letting anybody else in. So the league basically sent us on the road, our team on the road on this 27th of December, and uh, we've played now, I guess, eight, nine road games. Um, in the middle of that, 13 of our guys got COVID, so that put us out for about 10 days. We've been struggling since, uh, quite honestly, but um, it's been an experience. And I think, like I said, tomorrow we can go back home and uh, our state has opened up a little bit. So we hope, anyway, this season will play out a little bit more normally from here on out. Will you have home? Uh, will you have a lot of home games now? I think you're eight and six right now, right? So you're kind of... You're yeah. kind of in the middle towards the top of the league, but will you get those games back at home now? Yeah, we, the, the league is 28 games, 14 home, 14 away. So we're actually going to play four more road games to finish off our road schedule. And then uh, we'll have nine straight games at home uh, to finish the season. So hopefully we can make a little run and get yeah. into the playoffs. How's this compare? You, you, you had an amazing uh, pod with us when you explained the bubble to us. I know it's different. You said it's a reverse. What's what's similar? What did you take away from the bubble that's actually made you a better coach in this unique circumstance? Well, I guess the biggest thing is just locking in on on the task and the job. I know when you're home, it's nice to be able to get a break from it and see your family and spend time with your kids. It's kind of a little escape. You don't get that here, which is a negative, but at the same time, there's no excuse for not being ready to play or not researching or not trying to learn. Um, so it's been a lot of film, a lot of time on the computer and, um, you know, just working with the guys in the gym and, and kind of being uh, locked in on basketball. The days get kind of long. Sometimes the bubble is a little bit nicer because the, the games would come quicker. We've only played, uh, I guess, eight or nine games over this two month stretch, which is almost like an NFL season. Um, so the, the, the games that you're coming off a loss makes for a pretty long week and, uh, you're anxious to get that next game. The games after a win a little bit easier or the weeks after a win a little bit easier to take. So, um, a little bit more incentive to win, but a lot of time to, to dwell on it either way. Personally for you, you've had so many great basketball experiences from college coaching to the G league, to the NBA, now to the NBL. I mean, just as you look at the last two months, how has it made you a better coach if it has? I think it definitely has. Um, the reason I took this job or one of the reasons was I wanted to get back to being a head coach. I feel like that's the most challenging and, and, and the most opportunity to learn and get better because you're forced to make all those decisions. Um, Whereas an assistant coach, you're still researching, you're still doing your job and making suggestions, but the pressure's not on you to actually make the actual um, move, as you know quite well. So uh, just being forced to to put in a system of my own, um, challenging enough to do it over Zoom, basically, for two and a half months. So I think it's made me a better communicator, a little bit more uh, detailed with my explanations and, and breakdowns. And uh, now that I'm here on the ground, it's been nice to be able to try different things. 
kind of a, a regret of not being here sooner because a lot of the stuff you, you got to see it with your eyes before you know if it's the right move or the right thing to have in your system. And then uh, you got to make a change sometimes. So we didn't get that benefit of the preseason to, to do some of those things, but um, also making me better to have to do it on the fly and make those decisions a little bit quicker. So it's been, it's been a, a good experience from a coaching perspective. The league is really uh, well coached, well scouted, a lot of talent, uh, a lot of veteran professional guys that know what they're doing can make adjustments quickly. So, um, oh, it's been that, that part of the, the goals of, of coming here have been checked off for sure. Yeah. I know you're, I know you're in the moment right now, but do you, I mean, they, they dream about next season, assuming you're back. And, uh, cause I'm sure that's, you know, that, you're, that that's part of your plan. I think you're going to be a head coach in the NBA someday, but do you, um, do you kind of long for having a training camp, even though you're right in the midst of uh, getting ready for the next game, like, man, next year we'll, we'll have time to put this in or get better at this or develop this guy individually. No question. I think, um, even if uh, I didn't miss this preseason, I think as a coach, you're always thinking long-term. And if you aren't making little notes in your head or on paper throughout the course of the season, then you're not doing your job and preparing for the next one. So I think um, just gone, having gone through this season, it's been a, a few years since I was a head coach, uh, learned a bunch under coach Stevens and things I wanted to try out and things maybe I would do differently. So I think next season, just being a little bit more organized and and uh, efficient with the stuff that we would put in would be the first thing. And then getting extra time to work on it would be a benefit for the guys as well. Even even the players, a lot of them had shortened preseasons because of the quarantines and restrictions and uh, getting COVID. So it wasn't a, a natural lead up to the season. So I give the guys a lot of credit for, you know, being coached by Max Headroom for three months and then uh, getting the chance to to actually see me in person when it was, you know, one day before the first game. You weren't the Zoom guy anymore. <laughs> yeah, I always said if uh, if there's a coach that's better at coaching over Zoom, I'd love to have a Zoom with him. <laughs> hey, we all got better during the pandemic because of all the Zoom clinics, you know. I Sure. I, I kind of miss those. Um, the G League is so flex. You have to stay so flexible with the G League with call-ups and guys coming and going. As the let's I'll, I'll compare to G League. I'll ask you to compare to G League in a second. But the G League experience, I got to think that this is like perfect. Uh, it's perfect for you coaching the way you've had to coach the first few months. Yeah, the first year in the G League, I learned that the number one rule in the G League is to uh, not count on anything, expect the unexpected, don't assume whatever, however way you want to put it. And I think that's made me a better coach for whatever level, you know, like um, a guy gets hurt, a guy gets COVID, a guy can't be there for some reason. You just, you just keep on moving. Um, you adjust your game plan. You don't worry about it. You can't control it. Um, so tonight's game, for example, there's two guys that are game time decisions. So I'm planning for everything and uh, I'm not getting too stressed about it. It's going to be a, a tough game no matter who's out there. So we just, uh, we have a system and, and you stick with it. Everyone's got to be ready to go. Uh, tell me about the league itself. What you, you know, again, you've been in the G league, you've been in the NBA. Tell me about the league, the players, the level. How's the, how, how does the league compare to the G league in terms of talent? Um, there's probably a little more stability, as we said, because you're coaching a team that in a normal year, you're going to have most of the year, but give me the diff, the good, the good and the bad, the, 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 you know, the different things that the similarities and the differences. Sure. So it's, I think it's a little bit less athletic, one through 12 or one through 10, whatever the case is in the roster. Um, G League, obviously a very fast paced uh, athletic league. I think by the same token, this league's a little bit more um, refined in terms of 
guys have been playing. They're system players. They want to be coached. They want to be uh, team guys. Um, from a coaching perspective, it's actually a pretty good environment to coach in. Um, everyone wants to win for the most part. They want to compete in practice. Um, they want to play for each other. They want to make the right play. They want to be you know, taught what they did wrong and told what they did wrong. It's very easy to coach here. Um, the talent level's maybe not as high ceiling in terms of the G League guys. You know, a lot of them are young guys with a high ceiling. Uh, we have guys that have been pros for 10 to 12 years. Um, we also have three imports. You know, we have three Americans that all have a cup of teas in the NBA. So they're pretty talented guys themselves. Uh, but I think the the teams that do the best here, I'm learning, is the ones that have a good mix of imports, but also some of the top Aussies. Um, you know, that kind of that kind of puts teams over the edge. And uh, those are the guys that you can usually lock up long term. Perth itself is a little bit of an anomaly. We have a guy named Bryce Cotton who uh, played at Providence, played with the Utah Jazz. And um, he's some would say he's the goat of the NBL. He's a three time champion. I think he's a three time MVP. So I think he's leading the league in scoring this year again. So it's nice to have a guy like that on your team. He's an import level player, but he's also part of the community and has an investment in the local area. And he's really a, a beloved figure in Perth. So um, it's kind of a unique situation, but usually those imports are in and out. You're doing the best you can with them. And then you have your core of Aussies that have uh, kind of established your culture. Yeah, no, I watched Bryce play uh, probably an inch or two, more and he'd be in the NBA, I would guess, like just a little bit bigger guy, right? Talent wise. Yeah, I, I kind of equate him to a bit of a, he's a kind of a Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker style player, you know, yeah. uh, can play off the dribble, can play off the ball, uh, quick release, gets in the paint. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think if he was an inch or two taller, he would be uh, uh, in the NBA. And he, I mean, he could probably be in the NBA now as a, as a sure. lower roster guy. Yeah, no question. Um, I was going to ask you about, uh, I, I, here's what I, I, I love Aussies. Like, I, you know, I got to know Coach Gorgian through the Olympic stuff and, you know, Joe Ingles and the guys that you've coached against. Uh, but the, the Aussie work ethic, the ethos of, of Aussie boomer basketball, it's not just the boomers. It's got to probably permeate itself through the whole basketball culture. It, would I be right in assuming that, that the Aussie guys are very tough, hard-nosed professional guys? No, there's no question. Um, I, I had two years with Aaron Baines in Boston and I, I grew to love him, just his approach to the game and um, his willingness to put the team above himself. And uh, I think that that's pretty common now that I'm down here and I see it with the Aussie guys. They, you know, culture is a big thing. They're proud of it. They're proud of the history of the team. They're proud of the you know success they've had in the past. They take great pride in their national program. But in practice, when the ball goes up, they'll they'll step over their, their grandmother to try and, you know, get a stop or take a charge or, or whatever the case is. Um, I used to joke, I would always try to get Baines to say something negative about one of the other Aussies in the league. Like if we we're playing Patty Mills or Ingles, I would say, you know, Hey, look at this guy on film. He's doing this or that. And Baines would never, ever dare say anything negative. And um, I, it was, it was just a, a view where me trying to do it, but it was a, it was kind of a, uh, sign of what to expect when I got down here and it's been bang on. So um, anyone that has Baines's characteristics and, and traits on the court, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. There's a lot of those guys, I think in your league and then the guys that come to the NBA, uh, that's for sure. Um, before we jump into a little bit more about your career, tell me how the family's hanging in there. You gotta be heck of, you gotta be really excited about getting home tomorrow. Yeah, it's been rough. I, I owe my wife about a thousand right now. Um, <laughs> she, she agreed to, uh, 
you know, look, go after this job where we were sitting at home in the summer and uh, I kind of wanted a new challenge and I wasn't getting the opportunities that I was hoping for uh, back in the U.S. So this job came up and she suggested to go for it. And I guarantee she's regretted that moment many times uh, since then. Um, but it's been good for our kids. Like I said, our, our son was basically... Um, you know, we hid him in a closet for for two years and almost two years in Boston for fear of COVID and um, got here and he's able to live a normal life and go to daycare. And that's been great for him. Um, it's been tough for her being obviously looking after two kids basically by herself for two months. The team's done some things to help the families that are back home. But uh, the countdown's been on, no question, for the last couple of weeks here to get home. And um, I really hope we can just have a nice uh, finish to the season and everyone enjoy it to to kind of go into the offseason on a positive note. Exactly. All right. Now, coaching coach in Perth, the, the great tradition there, the 10 titles, I think, you know, what's what's that? like? I, I guess like, it's hard to ask you what's that like because you don't really know what's normal yet until you get back home for a while. But uh, what's that like being a part of a club that has had so much great, you know, uh, NBL tradition? Well, it's good and bad. You know, it's interesting. I came here, like I said, for a new challenge. I wanted to be a head coach again, but I also wanted to see, you know, kind of if I had what it took to be maybe an NBA head coach someday down the road, if I got the opportunity. And this has kind of been a, a mini version of, I think what that experience would be like, there's a lot more media attention than I'm used to. Not as much as the NBA, but kind of, a, you know, a mini version of it. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to win. It's very similar, actually, I think, to what it's like to work in, in Boston. You know, you have all those banners hanging over your head. You have everyone um, expecting the same results every year. Uh, they don't always realize that those banners can't get you any buckets when the game starts. Um and at the same time, every opponent's giving you the best effort when they see you. So it's a, it's a lot of pressure. Um, they're pretty proud of their, their streaks and their records and their history. And they're expecting uh, me to come in and keep it going. And uh, it's not always in my control, as you know. So um, you got to deal with the questions when you lose. And uh, when you win, it's not that big of a deal. They're expecting it. So it's been kind of uh, – it hasn't been as enjoyable from that perspective. I'm seeing – with the other side, how the other side lives. I know what coach Stevens was probably dealing with a lot of days that we didn't have to as assistant coaches. And, um, but that's what I, that's what I signed up for. So that part's been, uh, been a good learning experience too. Yeah. Well, it's been a crazy first half of the year. So hopefully those home games will definitely help you. It's kind of interesting because you replaced, I believe Trevor Gleason, he went to the NBA and you went to the NBL. Did you guys talk at all about both or do you know? Oh, we never did, to be honest. Um, um, not not through any uh, fault of anyone's, you know, motives or anything like that. I think it just became a crazy time when I got the job, and I'm sure it was crazy for him too. Um, I made I made the, the cardinal sin of coaching. I I was the guy that replaced the guy. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to wait one one turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Bill the Bill Guth, Bill Guthridge rule. Um, so. Um, you know, I, I guess I didn't really, I knew what I was doing. I knew it was probably a mistake uh, from that perspective, but I didn't really care. I wanted the challenge and I wanted the experience and uh, no one in, in PEI could even place Perth on a map basically. So if I, if I don't cut it here, I'll go home and no one will know the difference, <laughs> uh, but it, well, it's going to be a great experience. Yeah. I think you're going to do great, man. First of all, I got to explain to uh, see, we got the world of basketball podcast here, but PEI we got to explain that to some people, you know, because it's Prince Prince Edward Island. Don't don't assume everybody knows PEI except you and maybe me because I've interviewed you before. So, hey, yeah, fair enough. If they eat, if they eat mussels, they shouldn't know where it is. But yeah, Prince exactly. Edward Island is where I grew up, as we as we spoke about them. I'm sitting here in Tasmania, Australia, right now, and 
Um, I'd say Hobart, the city that we're in is kind of a mix of uh, Prince Edward Island, uh, Portland, Maine, and uh, and St. John's, Newfoundland. So if anyone got those references, you can picture where I am. Oh, yeah. Good seafood, I would imagine then, right? Yeah, no, it's not a bad spot. Just not 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 for two months. Yeah. Hey, tell me about um, I should know this, but uh, the rules in NBL uh, FIBA NBA mixture. What's the what's that? I, I'm just wondering how your adjustment has been to that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty much straight FIBA rules. There okay. might be a couple here or there that are different than the NBA. The time the timeouts are probably the biggest one that uh, I had to adjust to because I've had lots of experience in FIBA rules, but just not as a head coach. So that was a big adjustment for me. So the timeouts are short, are shorter than NBA, but you know, the 60 second FIBA timeout. Or is it yeah, they're shorter. You, you know, obviously, as you know, you got to call them before the play stops, so to speak. I mean, they gave you a little bit of leeway with that. Um, my first game, first preseason game, I called timeout. I uh, did the thing that we would do in Boston, you know, talk for a bit with the assistants and think about what play I was going to draw up. And before I could even get to the huddle, the referee was getting them out of the huddle. So um, I had to kind of I had to kind of mix up uh, the approach to the timeouts and, and make it a little bit more efficient. But again, that makes you a better coach, too. Exactly. All right. So you're probably a great person to ask uh, with your NBA experience and fever experience. What rules would you like to see? the NBA adopt, would you like, would you like knocking the ball off the rim? Would that be, I'm just curious if that would be one of them or are there any FIBA rules you've said, you've talked to Brad Stevens about and said, man, we ought to do this in the NBA. Yeah, honestly, I think the timeouts are, would make things flow a little bit better. I was listening to um, people talk about the, you know, the Elam ending or whatever it is um, for the all-star game and how it speeds the game up and makes it flow better. I think the timeouts here would do the same thing. It also forces you to kind of prepare your team for, those end of game situations because you can't just call three timeouts in the last minute and organize everybody. They got to have an idea of what's, what we're doing, what our attack is, how we're uh, playing different situations. So it forces you to be more prepared and it also keeps things flowing at the end of the game. Um, so that's probably the thing I would change, you know, first, if I was going to make any changes, the, the knocking the ball off the rim, it doesn't happen that often. Um, and it kind of just ticks you off when it does, especially when it's your team and you think that ball's going to roll in and someone flies in and ticks it off. So um, it's more frustrating than anything for me, and, and I don't think it happens enough to really make a big difference, though. It, well, it might be, you know, the, the officials might like it because that, that goaltending basket interference could be tricky. I know in college, in American college and universities, it's impossible, you know, goaltending. I, I'd like to see it because I just think it's it's exciting athletic play but uh, yeah i mean it definitely adds a different dimension we don't have the we don't have the guys that can do that we have one or two guys that can do that so maybe i'd have a different uh opinion right. if we had a couple couple athletes that could get up there and do it you got those mark bradkey types that's an old school name from uh, you know tough six seven about 235 you could barely get this much over the rim but would knock you into the eighth row i think no question. This is a this is a country that still appreciates a good big man. There's, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Baines that. would not like that rule. I don't think Baines would like that rule. His shot would be floating on the rim, and someone would come flying in and knock it off. Yeah, he'd be he'd be screaming about that. But he would like the amount of charges that are called here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, any I I just read up on him. Is he doing okay? Have you heard anything? I how is Aaron doing? I was doing the Olympics when that whole craziness happened. When when he had the illness and it was really amazing that nobody really yeah, no, ter terrible situation. I've, I've spoke to him a couple of times on the phone. He's in Brisbane. Um, we haven't been there yet, but uh, we're hoping to meet up in about 10 days time. We play Brisbane on, I think the 11th or 12th. And 
we've, we've spoken about meeting up for dinner. So I really hope to see him and catch up. And uh, when I've spoken to him, we haven't talked about basketball or uh, what, what he's going through, just more, you know, catching up with family and things like that. So um, like I said before, I'm a big, big fan of Aaron and I'm rooting for him. So I can't wait to see him and uh, just give him my best. And I know there's lots of people out there cheering for him. And I think like you, he's got a few little ones running around, right? Yeah, I think he's got three now. So um, he's, he's he, I think he's got a pretty good setup there in Brisbane. So I think he, uh, uh, I'm, I, I believe he's trying to make one more run. And, um, you know, any team would be lucky to have him for, for his attitude and stuff we spoke about alone. Yeah. Well, hey, what did, um, what did you, what are the things you took away from Brad Stevens? What, what was it? What were the things that you just said, wow, that's pretty good stuff or. You know, I'm going to do that when I'm a head coach. How, how did he make you a better coach? Because you came in from the G League and moved up to the bench in Boston. Obviously, they thought you were going to be a great addition, and you were. But what did you get from being around Brad for the amount of time you were? Well, after being through this for a couple months, it turns out I got a lot more from him than I thought I did. Um, you know, it's you, you're addressing the team or you're thinking about something, and your mind always goes back to things he said or did. And, uh, like I said, I have a lot better appreciation for maybe some of the things he was going through uh, that we didn't know about as assistants. Um, but the main thing I always tell people that I, I've tried to learn from coaches, basically his demeanor um, on the court. And it's e something easier said than done. Like when he he was always very um, well prepared. He watched as much film as anybody. He's got a great memory. Um, and a lot of coaches, you could say the same thing about them, but they don't have the ability to access that information because they're getting too emotional in crunch time. And people would sometimes say, why is he so calm? You know, they joke about it, but that was his way of being able to access that crazy library of information. That's how he knew how teams played, you know, in the game situations. That's how he knew what play to draw up. Um, he never let his emotions get in the way of, of good decisions. So when I met him, when I first started working for him, I was kind of the opposite style of a coach. I was, heading down more of the uh, the Bobby Knight, you know, path. And uh, I think that the Lord, good Lord sent me to Coach Stevens to teach me a different way to do it. And uh, it's been very beneficial for me, not only when I was in Maine, but um, I'm, I'm seeing that right now too. Um, but I can't, I don't have the same mind as Coach does. Uh, the other day I was looking for a full court, um, kind of late clock play. And I couldn't think of the one that we ran in Boston. I wanted a different look and he, sent me a note back when I, when I texted him, he said, uh, look up uh, 2010 Butler versus Stanford first half. I think we ran this, this, and this. And sure enough, I got on synergy and uh, found the game and it was exactly as he, as he described it. And uh, I was joking with our video coordinator in Boston. Like that's just classic uh, coach Stevens. He, he can think of some random play. He ran 10 years earlier and draw it up exactly how, how he had us, even though he hadn't run it since. So um that's a pretty uh, nice skill to have as a coach. And yeah. I don't think I can ever uh, learn that one. Well, what about this? You know, you, now you got me curious. Did you guys go into games with late game plays? Like did he, obviously he has a great memory and a, and a bank to, to draw from, but did you, did you guys specifically have some stuff that you said, Hey, if we need this late, we've got this, or we're going to tweak this play. And how, how, how do you do it in, in Perth? Like, What's your what's your special situation strategy, I guess, that maybe you got from Brad or your own philosophy? Yeah, no, uh, Coach Coach Stevens always had a you know a handful of need plays or or situational plays. And 
it wouldn't often come up. Um, even the play I was looking for, I don't think we ever ran it, but we would practice it and go through it in our offensive review. And basically I've tried to take the same approach here, except maybe a little bit more extreme because of the timeout situation. You don't, you don't always have a timeout to burn. Um, and you got to have your, you know, your sideline late clock, your baseline late clock, your deep corner, uh, your full court late clock, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. So we just try to review them once a week. And um, the nice thing about having less games, it's tougher on the the um, the heart and, and the anxiety waiting for the games to come. But the nice thing is you have more practice and there's no excuse for not going through your stuff. So the guys here all know what the situational plays are. We just rarely ever get to use them, but they're, they're in the holster when you need them. How about, uh, how about Danny Ainge? You're, you're kind of now as the head coach, you probably have conversation with your GM. It's, it's, I believe it's Danny Mills, right? Is Dan, are you, Correct, yeah. yeah. I've known Danny a long time. And uh, what's that like knowing that you watched Brad and, and Danny connect all those years and how does that help you with, with Danny Mills, former NBA scout now, you know, now working with you in Perth. Yeah, I think um, both Dannys are, are very similar in the fact that they let the coach do their thing. Um, they hired the coach for a reason and they have a role to play and they let them, you know, do their, do their thing, like I said. So that's been nice for me because I don't feel like someone's looking over my shoulder, but I feel like I have someone behind me that's supporting me. And um, I think I'm sure Brad felt the same way about about Danny Ainge. Um, I have a lot of love for Danny Ainge, too. I think he's a great basketball mind. I I would learn a lot from him just in chatting with him, you know, watching someone work out and getting his perspective. And obviously he has a lot of great stories that can make you laugh, but also teach you something. Um, but he always let us do our thing and, uh, and trusted us as coaches to kind of do what we we're trained to do. And it made it that much easier to, to, you know, do your job and coach and teach without having to worry about what your boss thinks or if they think you should be doing something different. So Danny Mills has been great. Um, it's his first year as well. So we're kind of learning things together. Obviously he has a pretty good sense of the players in Australia being Australian and having scouted them for so long. Um, so I trust him with the player selection and he trusts me with the coaching. And so far it's been a pretty great uh, relationship. Yeah. Is there, is there anybody in back in Boston that you work with player wise that you're kind of particularly proud of their development? Like, you guys spend a lot of time behind the scenes with these guys. I don't think the average fan realizes how much work these like Jason Tatum's and Jalen Brown's put into their craft, especially in the off season, but definitely during the season. Do you look back at and your experience and feel good about anybody that maybe got better, like just because you saw them put the work in and you helped a little there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had our own guys assigned. And then the last couple of seasons I was there, coach uh, had me kind of lead the overall group player development stuff. So I got a chance to work with everybody in a certain respect. So um, the obvious ones, you know, the, the JTs, the Jalen's, the, the Marcus smarts, those guys are all pretty talented. I'm not going to take any credit, but it's nice to see them doing well. Um, I'm big on making, I'm big on working on offensive reads and making the right play. And we spend a lot of time working on that stuff. So anytime JT has a, a seven assist game to go with his 50 points. I'm pretty proud of him for, for uh, making at least seven times making the right play. Uh, sometimes for him, the right play is just shoot. So um, I like following that. And I'm really happy for Rob Williams. I've always been a big Rob Williams fan. I think he's an all-star level player and he's kind of the key to winning. I, I often felt like if, if he was still, uh, if he was more healthy last season, perhaps, uh, I wouldn't be in, in Hobart, Tasmania. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, things may have went a little bit differently. 
And now that he's healthy, I think he's showing what a impact he makes on winning on, on both ends of the floor. He's just a unique player that uh, has developed and worked hard. And now that he's you know healthy more often, it's uh, he's he's tearing things up. It's great to see. Yeah, I'm going to tell people that you're responsible for the seven assists, and JT was responsible for the fifty points. I'll I'll, be, I'll take one assist. If I can be responsible <laughs> for that. I always said as a as an assistant coach, if you can affect the game two points, man, you're earning your your salary because that's a, a big difference in the NBA. Exactly. All right. Um, I got to ask you about Marcus Smart because I've been watching him since his sophomore year in high school when he was 15. Um, what 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 made him so interesting? To, I want to say interesting to coach. I, I don't even know if it was if he was fun to coach. I'm sure he was, but tell me what makes Marcus Smart tick. So I I would say what separates him is similar to coach Stevens um, in terms of his, his vast memory and is able to, you know, get in there and remember things that happened smart um, is like that defensively. He knows what everyone's running. He knows what they ran three years ago. Uh, he can teach the scout as well as any of the coaches could. So that, uh, that plus his, you know, heart and desire to get stops is what makes him a great defensive player. Um, and as a person um, or off, off games, he's, was one of my favorite guys to coach because he wanted to be coached and he wanted the drills and, and the other guys to buy in. So if uh, coach Stevens assigned you a drill and there was two groups, you would be praying that Marcus was in your group because he knew it was going to go well that day. Even if a couple of the guys maybe didn't want to bring it that morning, you know, their best effort smart would get, get them in line. And um, you might grab smart before the drill. Hey, Marcus, this is what we're trying to work on. We got to get better at this. Uh, and he'd be he, just like that. He'd buy right in. So um, I love coaching him. Um, he's an emotional player. Obviously, some of that stuff's well documented, but um, that's also where he gets a lot of the positives from, too. Yeah, I agree. I, I if, if I were coaching, I'd love to coach him. There's no question about that. Um, where are you now with Canadian basketball? Are you involved now going forward? Obviously, Nick Nurse is the head coach. He's trying to get the team qualified for the world championships. Are you still involved in any way? Uh, what, uh, and, I, and I think you're going to be the head coach of the national team someday. That's just my humble opinion. But where are you with canned basketball, as we say? Well, I've always kind of been involved. I spent, I guess, seven years uh, on different staffs. Uh, coach Trano was um, a good mentor of mine, or still is. Um, coach nurse took over. It was poor timing for me personally. Our, my wife was pregnant with our first son. We had, uh, just moved. So I, I kind of backed away for a little bit, but still was there, you know, to support and do whatever I could for uh, any of the teams. I think this summer I'm going to get back in um, and work with uh, one of the uh, age group teams. Um, I don't want to say too much because it's not all finalized yet, but it's been kind of in the back of my mind to try and get back in. Uh, I love working with Canada basketball. I'm, um, I cheer for all the guys. I listen to all your podcasts when you have Canadians on when it's not Australians uh, and uh, root for all those guys. So it's it's an exciting group to be a part of. And uh, I think we're headed in the right direction. We've got great front office and uh, Coach Nurse is doing a great job with his staff. And uh, I'm really excited to get back in. And and it's it's kind of like coaching here. And you see the pride the Australians have for their team. And, and I want to get that feeling back for for Canada, too. You know, I probably asked you this when we when we had you on the pod. I don't know. It must have been like uh, after the bubble. Yeah, you said it after the bubble. So 20. Um, but I said once on TV that there's going to be a time that Toronto has as good a talent as any city in North America. And I think I was pretty accurate. Uh, why is that? 
why is Toronto become such a hotbed of basketball? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think the the ones that are usually quoted the most would be the immigration policies. Um, we got pretty multicultural uh, base to choose from. And, um, you know, I think the Raptors coming in in the, I guess, the 90s, you know, when I was in high school or, or grade school, and a lot of kids grew up watching that, whereas the previous generations didn't have something to really point to. Um, I think success that Nash had has probably motivated a lot of people to, you know, aim a little bit higher because uh, of what he did. Um, and then just, I think, uh, you know, exposure and, and social media and all the other stuff, uh, kids are realizing what's, what's possible. Uh, coaches are trying to get in for some mainly good, some, you know, ulterior motives sometimes, but at the end of the day, it leads to more exposure, more competition. And um, with the rise of the prep league there and things like that, it's uh, just, you know, it's mir- it's more mirroring the, the U S system with uh, a very multicultural big base to choose from. So I think all those things combined has, has led to the boom. And uh, I think where we have to catch up to some of the other countries is, this stuff that we're talking about with the culture and the pride and playing, it's starting to get there, I think, with the group that we have now, but uh, we need to get to the point where uh, winning a medal for Canada is as good as anything else you can do in your career. That's kind of how it is in Australia. This boomers team that won the bronze is going to be revered for uh, decades. And uh, we have to get to the point where that's uh, a sense of pride, not only for the players, but for the basketball fans in Canada. Yeah, they had me crying uh, when they won the bronze, honestly. I mean, it was a very emotional time when they uh, – because they kind of got screwed four years earlier when Spain had to do a two bad calls. <laughs> I always tell my Austin friends the two horrible calls in the, in the bronze medal game against Spain. All right, I'm going to ask you one trick question, and then we're going to wrap this up. Your son. Uh, uh, your son is – let's just say he turns out to be a really good player. Does he go to the States and play college, or does he go to CIS? <laughs> I don't want to put I don't want to put you on a spot, but if Max were good enough, what do you what do you what's how would you how would you advise him? Well, he's going where uh, where it's cheapest for me. He's going to get the best experience. <laughs> so uh, if he's good enough, that'll be that'll be in the NCAA, and um, hopefully we can we can get some uh, NIL money and yeah. uh, get him some sponsorships, and and maybe I can retire early. Um, so that's where I, what I'm hoping. I actually said uh, to. The, the summer before I met my, my wife, Suzanne, I said to myself, you know, I, I, I never wanted to be a guy at school for 30 years. I was coaching college at the time or before I got the, the Red Claws job. And I said, if I can do this right and live long enough, uh, I want to coach in all the major kind of leagues. So I did. I checked off NBA and G League and I'm checking off uh, high level international pro now. And um, if, if the Lord lets me, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, an opportunity to try the NCAA and see what that's like, too. Well, I'd be here to help. That's for sure. And um, I'll make sure on this podcast, we tweet that out too, because I think you'd be a great Fair enough. There's no question sure. about it. All right. Uh, hey, listen, we can't thank you enough, man. I know we've taken up your time. You got a game today. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Scott. Um, you know, you know how I feel about you. Uh, keep, keep up what you're doing. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say, I, I think you're going to do a great job at Perth and I think your career is just starting to blossom. So Kick, kick butt down under and um, get healthy, stay healthy with your team. And we just always appreciate when we get a chance to tap into your wisdom. No, I'm very grateful for you having me on. And I appreciate all you do for uh, not just basketball, but international basketball. Um, it's great to, to just follow, uh, you know, all the promotions and the podcast and everything else. I really appreciate it. Many thanks to Scott Morrison. Uh, 
head coach of the Perth Wildcats of the NBL. They're going to finish their season because of COVID with eight or nine straight home games to end the NBL season. And uh, we certainly hope that uh, since we've recorded this, that Scott has gotten home to see the family. Uh, and I know you found it interesting that the guy couldn't get away from bubbles, you know, bubble in the NBA and then uh, bubble away from his family. So we wish him the best and uh, all of our friends down under the best as the NBL starts to uh, begin the the run to complete their season. So with that, um, remember, make sure you subscribe to uh, this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we love it. We enjoy it. We love bringing you this fresh content every week. Uh, we know there are a lot of people out there that love international hoops and uh, we love presenting it to you. And I love talking to these great guests. So uh, as I continue to travel around college basketball with uh, championship week upon us, and the NBA heading down the stretch of uh, their season, uh, you can bet every last dollar that next week I'm going to bring you to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. A special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.